I hate fake fruit. And even more, I despise fake fruit flavors. Well, most of them. And I know that may put me in a minority in the room tonight. Um, You can come and storm the pulpit later in the name of chemical flavoring. But like, I love grapes. Like pretty much any grape. I'll just like mow on them. Doesn't matter, green grapes, purple grapes, concord grapes, seedless grapes. I could eat grapes all day long. But fake grape, oh, goodness. Grape gum, grape Jolly Ranchers, grape soda, no thanks. And I know there are many in my family that disagree with me strongly on that. I eat a real banana most every morning but you can't pay me enough money to eat a banana Laffy Taffy. Fake banana is, oh, it's a crime against humanity. It doesn't have the same taste, right? It's a, it's a fake chemical distortion. But like those distinctions are easy to make between like the real fruit and like fake chemical attempts at fruit. Uh, what's even harder, though, to distinguish is that not all, not all real fruit is the same. Like, again, you can distinguish between chemical stuff and real stuff. Like one grows on a vine in a tree, the other is made in a laboratory. But not all real fruit is the same. So we're now in the, we're like in the peak northwest strawberry season right now. Like today's sermon could be sponsored by Spooner's Strawberries. In fact, I thought about buying some Spooner's Strawberries and handing them out, but then I didn't want to share. But I love real Spooner's, like July, mid-season strawberries. They're just red all the way through. They melt in your mouth. So sweet. But then I'm sure you've had this experience is that it's not always June or July, and in like, I don't know, December, January, February, you go to Costco, or you go to Safeway, you go to a grocery store, and you buy these things they call strawberries, or they call them California red berries, and they look the same, they're red on the outside, they have the seeds, and then you take a bite into them, and they're hard, and they're crunchy, and they're kind of sweet, but they're kind of half bitter. You're like, what is this? Like, like there's no comparison between the two. It's like on the spectrum, right? There's real fruit. There's kind of like poor versions of fruit. There's plastic fruit. Then there's fake fruit flavors. Like, could you imagine, though, if all you knew of banana was from Laffy Taffy? If you had never actually had the real thing? Or if, like, if your vision of strawberries was like fake strawberry spray or strawberry gum and you'd never actually had a Spooner's strawberry, strawberry shortcake, oh my goodness. Open your Bibles tonight to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5.22. Tonight we're going to continue our series in the Fruit of the Spirit. This summer is the summer of the fruit of the Spirit. And last week we talked about love as the first on the list of the fruit. 
And today we get to turn to the next one on the list, which is joy. Tonight we get to talk about joy. Yay. Yay. Here's my contention. Having spent this last week thinking about reading, about praying, about joy, my contention is is that most of us have been misled about joy or we've been fed bad joy flavoring, like fake joy. And as a result, we don't quite know what to make of it. Like we think we should want it, but we really don't want it. Or we don't know if we've had it. We don't know what to do with it. You see, our world is filled with pain and sorrow, right? Our world is filled with pain and sorrow and loss. And in the face of our pain and sorrow and loss and difficulty, all as a result of sin, here's what's happened in our current cultural moment. Here's what's happened in our American experiment is that we have been sold on happiness as a remedy for all that ails us. Especially as Americans. We all want to be happy. And we live in a world that consistently will tell you to be happy. A world that will sell you on happiness. It's everywhere. Like you can't not touch the happiness messaging of our world. That you should be happy through food, happy through game, happy through sports, happy through your causes, happy through politics, happy through unrestrained pleasure. And it... it, Like, it shouldn't be surprising that we all want to be happy because as a country, it's one of our highest ideals. Is it not? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of... Like, that's the stuff baked into our founding documents. That's Declaration of Independence. That's, we have declared as a country that these are our unalienable rights. But that's your unalienable right to have the pursuit of happiness. Now, I'll clarify before you come at me, both for the fake banana take and somehow I'm against our country. I love our country. Grateful for our founding documents. I'm in no way anti-happiness. I'm not pro-misery. I'm not pro-grumpiness. I'm not pro-scowl. But here's the thing, because the world has sold us on happiness as our solution, and I'm going to maybe take the liberty to define our cultural happiness is getting whatever you want. That's how we've defined happiness in America, just if you get whatever you want. So no wonder then that joy feels quaint off-brand. It, it feels like the generic form of happiness. You're like, I think I want that, but I think I'd just rather be happy. So when, you can go to that next slide, when Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit and he gives us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and then on down the list. When he names joy as the fruit of the Spirit, it really makes me wonder if I know what it is and if I'm aware of what God is offering to grow in my soul, I wonder if I actually know why it's so good. 
And so tonight, like, here's my visual, which maybe would have been more powerful with some strawberries to hand out to you. But it's like God is trying to hand out Spooner strawberries to people who have only tasted strawberry gum. And said, have you tasted this? This is so much better. Because even more than the pursuit of happiness, we need the provision of joy. Even more than the pursuit of happiness, we need the provision of joy. One may make you laugh for a moment, but the other will make you last. So I'm going to unpack this thing called joy uh, from a, a kingdom perspective, a biblical perspective, so that we may know and watch for what God is actually growing in our lives and our church. So here are a few things to note about joy. First of all, so this is where it gets confusing. So, so joy is an experience of pleasure, or as Dallas Willard put it, a pervasive sense of well-being. It's why happiness and joy can get confused, because joy is an experience of pleasure. And there are times when joy feels a lot like happiness. And I'll make that case, I think, biblically. So in the Bible, there are a handful of Hebrew words in the Old Testament, Greek words in the New Testament, around this idea of joy, translated roughly as joy. And we're told in the Bible that joy can actually come from a variety of places, even in our created world. So here are a few. So the Bible tells us that children can bring us joy. Proverbs 23, 24, and 25, that actually your kids can be a source of joy, and they can also be a source of pain. But they also can be a source of joy, and so kids can bring joy. The Bible says that wine brings joy. Psalm 104, 15, that wine gladdens the heart of man. <coughs> Psalm 65, 11 talks about grain and meadows and pastures shouting for joy so that uh, at the time of the harvest and the, a farmer would go out and see a, a grain and meadows and sheep and pastures and there would be joy stirred in their heart because of what they have been given. Also, there's an analogy in Jeremiah 33 about weddings, times of celebration bringing joy and mirth and laughter watching to commit to one another in union. So there's, there's a, a definition of joy. This is like the one that Pastor John Piper, next slide, says. He defines joy, that Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of God in the Word and in the world. So because God is good, his world that he has made is good, and he gives good gifts, James tells us that, so that his good gifts in the world around us do at times produce joy in us. And so when there is joy with our kids or with the flocks or in a, a wedding, there's joy that is coming as a human response to the goodness of God, the beauty of God produced in the world. That, that's joy. That's good. It's where joy and happiness can appear very similar. Again, next slide. Dallas Willard defines joy as a constant and pervasive sense of well-being. 
But here's where then joy and happiness maybe take a little bit of a diverging path. Because as you and I all know, we don't always live life in the thrill of a wedding. And just like our kids can bring us joy, every parent has had the moment where you're like, what did I bring into this world? What's happening? This is not joy. We don't always live in the thrill of weddings or harvests or flocks. And we, again, we live east of Eden. We live in this world that has been marked by human rebellion and sin and therefore death and sorrow and pain and loss and heartache and disease. Like all this stuff happens and we, we, we have to figure out how do we live life in this world and we want to live in joy or happiness, but that's not what we always taste and see and feel. And this is where the pursuit of happiness must give way to the provision of joy because next slide joy not only is an experience of pleasure but joy runs deep you see let me make the comparison here whereas happiness is a fleeting emotional response to the circumstances of our life that's happiness like things are going well i like this happiness is a fleeting emotional response to the circumstances of life Joy remains. Joy runs deep. Joy is not dependent on the ups and the downs of life. Joy is rooted somewhere beyond circumstantial whims. Listen to a couple other voices as they offer their joy takes. This is Pastor Rick Warren down at Saddleback. He says that joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. The settled, go, stay there, go back. The, the settled assurance that God is in control of all of the details of my life. That's not just happiness, it runs deeper. That's why you could have the world collapse around you. Every possible situation that you face. It's why biblically you see the people of God. They walk through tons of stuff. Tons of pain. Tons of heartache. Wilderness wanderings. Slavery in Egypt. And they still were offered joy. It's why people are able to find joy in suffering. It's why people are able to find joy in poverty. It's why Jesus could find joy through his suffering and the cross. Was Jesus happy as he walked through his crucifixion? No. But the Bible tells us that for the joy set before him, he did endure the cross. 
So joy runs deep. It's not fickle. It doesn't fade. Go ahead and go to the next one now. David Mathis, he says, not that we're dull to the multifaceted pains of life in this age, but in Christ, we have access to subterranean joy. I love that. Subterranean joy that is simultaneous with and deeper than the greatest of our sorrows so we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So it's not like we live in la-la land and be like, oh, smile, buck up, everything's perfect and fine. It's merely a flesh wound. It's not that we are checked out. It, it runs, right, simultaneous and, and, and with the, 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 the sorrows of life, but then in Christ there's a subterranean joy that is being offered with our pain. Because rather than being attached to the whims of happiness and getting what we want, joy is attached to God. Psalm 16, verse 11. Next slide. The psalmist says, In your presence is the fullness of of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know if you think about God this way, but his presence contains the most joyful location in the universe. The fullness of joy is in his presence. When you experience God's presence, you will taste joy. And then Jesus comes with this offer in John 15, 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that and this is a beautiful statement, that my joy, Jesus speaking, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The offer that Jesus gives you is that his joy would be in you. That's quite an offer. And that your joy would be full. Jesus comes offering you joy. The winds of happiness may blow all over the place, but joy is anchored deep in God, deep in Christ, subterranean joy in Him, and therefore our future destiny in Him. Happiness gets anchored to the present moment. Joy is anchored in the future promises of God. So here's the text that I want to spend a few moments with you tonight. Uh, it's Isaiah 51. Rather than just bouncing around to all these joy verses, look at this. This is Isaiah 51. Hopefully it will help paint joy a bit more fully to you. Isaiah 51. This, if you are in Christ, this is your destiny. This is the sure and certain future of the people of God. If you've ever read the Old Testament, then you know that the, the nation of Israel, though they were God's covenant people, they sinned. Though they were invited into relationship with God, they blew it off and they went their own way. That's the storyline as you read all throughout the scriptures. God chose them, blessed them, they sinned, they rebelled, and as a result, they experienced the consequences of their sin, which was exile. This painful, long, protracted season where their nation was wiped out, their leaders were captured, a select group of them were taken away, and all their symbols of political and religious significance were smashed to pieces. God punished Israel in judgment and exile. 
But that wasn't the end of the story. If you read the story and know the story, their sin didn't get the last word. Their judgment didn't end it all. That wasn't God's final say to them. Here's Isaiah 51, verse 3. It says, For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. And He makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the voice of song. Do you hear God's prophetic promise to His people? This is their certain future. In God's goodness and His mercy and His love, God doesn't let our sin last and He doesn't allow His judgment over us to remain forever. Instead of beating us over our head with our sin, God promises comfort. God promises to comfort his people, and he promises true and lasting change. Here's the the transformational change in his comfort to Israel. He says, you were a waste place. You were a wilderness in heat and death and dryness and lack of life. Here's the transformation. In my comfort, I'm going to transform the waste places and the wilderness, and you will become like Eden, right? Like like paradise, like the tropical garden of God. The desert into the garden of the Lord. And in my comfort, this is what your future holds. Joy and gladness, thanksgiving, and the voice of song. It's quite a picture. God says, this is what I have in store for you. You deserved judgment. You deserved wrath. You deserved separation from me. You deserve to live in the wasteland. But that's not where I'm going to leave you. I'm here to comfort you. And I will change you. And I will transform you. And the wastelands will be gardens. Deserts into gardens. New life. Restoration. Where there is joy and gladness and thanksgiving and song. God is telling Israel, you may be in the wasteland now. Your present circumstances may not be happy. They may be filled with heat and death and wasteland, but this is your destiny. This is your future. Joy and gladness and thanksgiving and song. Wasteland transformation. And some of you, even tonight, may need to hear this of God's offer for you because your present circumstances may not be happy. But then he gets even more specific a a few verses down. That's verse 3. Here's verse 11. And it says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I'm assuming that many of you, I know most of you here, you're churched people, you have some church background, at least you've been around our church for some time. 
I'm assuming you've probably heard of everlasting life before. You ever heard John 3.16? Anyone know John 3.16? Yeah, thanks, Heath. You heard that before? John 3.16? God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That verse has become the evangelistic tool in my lifetime. Like, that's the go-to. It's the one that everyone memorizes and knows from Sunday school. It's the one they hold up on posters at sports games. At least they used to. John 3, 16. Why is that in the football stadium? It's the offer of God of everlasting life. I'm familiar with the offer of everlasting life. Have you, everyone, have you ever heard anyone talk to you about everlasting joy? Because Isaiah 51, that's the offer too. It's a part of the offer of everlasting life. It's the promise. It's the certain future and the destiny for the people of God through faith that the ransomed of the Lord, that they will return from their exile where they've been cast off and cast aside. He's going to bring them back, buy them back, the purchased ones out of slavery and exile. They'll return to Zion. They're going to return to the city of God, to the city where God's presence dwells, to the place where the joy of the Lord abounds. And on their head, God will give his people everlasting joy and they shall obtain gladness and joy. Do you know that's in your future? Everlasting joy. And then at the end of the passage, this last line, Isaiah tags on two more words. He talks about sorrow and sighing. And this world has its fair share of both. And maybe your life right now has lots of both. I've been told by my kids that I sigh a lot. And I get in this place where the weight of the moment or the weight of the day hits me. And I sigh. This past week I've sighed a lot. Maybe you have too. Maybe your life right now just feels like sigh after sigh because of sorrow after sorrow. And I think the older I get, the more I sigh. But here's the promise. Here's the future. Here's the hope. There is a day that is coming because of our Messiah, Jesus. It's the day when sorrow and sighing will flee away. And everlasting joy will be on your head. Like This is not fantasy. This is more true than anything in the universe. This is not if, but because of Jesus, it's a matter of when. That the future of those in Christ is everlasting joy. Amen? See the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is fleeting. Joy endures. Happiness is based on your present moment. Joy is rooted in Jesus and God himself and his promises and his presence and your destiny in him.
why even more than the pursuit of happiness, we need the provision of joy. And it's why then, the last piece of this, of joy, is that joy is the attitude that we adopt as God's people. Or if I can quote those more smart, than smarter, more smart, smarter than I am, Tim Mackey from Bible Project. He says that joy is determined by our future destiny. We can choose joy to anticipate our future redemption and the fulfillment of God's promises. So joy is a choice. Yes, it's a pervasive self-sense of well-being. It is something that we experience and we feel. And because it runs deeper, it's attached to God, it's rooted in his character and his promises and our future destiny, I can then choose to adopt a mentality of joy now, too. I live out now in anticipation of what will be. I choose joy. It's why in the Bible we're called to joy. It's why we're commanded to joy. Philippians 4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. The command is not be happy always. The command isn't like, just get clappy. Smile all the time. The command is to have joy. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Because that is set. Your joy is secure. His promises will come true. His character is sound. There's no changing that. Therefore, you can choose joy today. It's a profound decision of hope and faith, in the power and promises of Jesus. And because of God's good world, and because of his great promises, and because of his great character, and because of our great future, then we face today differently. With our eyes fixed on that day when everlasting joy will be placed on our heads. So Monday can be a choice of joy. Suffering can be put into perspective with a choice of joy. It's a joy response. It's eternal joy that bleeds into the present. It's what we put on. This is not just self-improvement or willpower, but it's an appropriate response to the greater joy movement that is at hand. So like all of that then <laughs> kind of gets squeezed into this fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Loved people love people. Enjoy. That's what God desires to grow in us. So as we end today, I'll just offer, so like how do I, how do I cultivate this? How do I, What's the human side of holiness? We've talked about in the fruit, there's, there's indirection, right? We don't just yell that, okay, I'm not going to yell in your face. Joy, joy, be more joyful. But the question is, if this is what God is growing in us based on who he is and our future destiny, what can we do to help put ourselves in an environment where the soil of our life is able to grow joy? If the Holy Spirit grows joy in us, What's the weeding and the fertilizing that needs to take place for more joy? Let me offer two ideas. 
and I'll be done. First of all, if Psalm 1611 is true, that in his presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, if it's true that the presence of God is the most joy-filled place in the universe, then wouldn't it be wise for us to seek him and to seek his presence? Or, or maybe more correctly, to seek awareness of his presence. It's what the psalm writers call keeping God before us. David actually, in so Psalm 1611, he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In that very same psalm, just a few verses before, Psalm 16:8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. He's keeping God before him always. I think that's one of the things that we can begin to learn to do to cultivate the habits of joy is how do we keep the awareness of God and who he is and his promises and his word and his presence before us. We're good at keeping things before us. I'm really good at keeping things before me. Am I willing to keep God before me as, at least as much as I'm willing to keep my phone before me? To borrow from those saints who have gone before, Brother Lawrence talked about practicing the presence of God. He was a, a dishwasher in the monastery. and He found that he was able to keep God's presence before him in a way that as he was even just doing dishes, it became a holy moment of prayer. Frankly, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy singing. I think there's a corporate dimension to that. I think there's an individual dimension to that. But when I sing praise to God, it keeps me aware of his presence before me. There's a song that's been released this last year by someone named Martin Smith. The song is called Trouble, but this is the lyric that he says. He says, I'm going to sing my way out of trouble. I'm going to sing because I'm free. My God will find me here in the rubble. O rock of ages, save us once again. And I found myself recently at times singing my way out of trouble. The Israelites oftentimes sang their way out of trouble. Sometimes even tonight, we'll sing a few more songs. It may be helpful to keep God before us as we sing our way out of trouble. <clears throat> and then secondly, I don't know if I put this on the screen or not. Yeah, keep God before us. And then also... <laughs> Read, hear, speak, and tell the narrative of joy. I'm going to explain that real quick. So maybe you've heard the phrase before, the saying before, that the person who tells the best stories wins. And there's an element of truth in that, that storytelling has become a huge part of our world. Right? We get inundated all the time, every hour, every minute with story. Marketing gets this, Hollywood gets this, that stories shape our imaginations and stories matter. 
But I was at a conference last year, and the speaker was talking about the fact that we are actually in a narrative war, not just a story war. There's a difference between the, nar- the overarching narrative that the stories fit under. And this may be a controversial one to use, but I'm going to use it because I think it tells the story well. In the gay community, they have understood the narrative war. And you go back 30 years ago, the general popular public, the opinion of the gay community was not what it is today, regardless of your position on the LGBTQ issues. I think everyone would agree that 30, 40 years ago, our culture viewed the gay community differently. And so, from their own words, they realized, here was their strategy 30 years ago. They've been very open about this. Here was the strategy. Declare a new narrative and then throw 10,000 stories at it. And the narrative that they threw is that love is love, and then 10,000 stories have been thrown to change the narrative, to establish the new narrative with different stories. So moving this into the realm of joy, I believe that we are in a narrative war right now. And we need a new narrative. Or viewed in other ways, there are other narratives that are being declared over us as a culture. And I'm telling you that the gospel is a narrative of joy. Here's the joy narrative. The statement that Jesus Christ is Lord is a joy narrative. It's a story of redemption in a lost world that leads to the end, as we've read from Isaiah 51, where his rule and reign will be over all things in heaven and earth, where sorrows and sighing flee away, where the offer is everlasting joy, and joy will be upon your head because of the work of Jesus. And we live in a world that is happiness-centered. The narrative is about our happiness. And there's a need to reclaim the narrative of Jesus Christ as Lord as a joy narrative and then throw 10,000 stories at it. That we read and speak and tell the narrative of joy. And some of the work is in what we read and what we watch and what we scroll through, what news feed is discipling us, where we spend our affection and our attention. But it, it actually has to do with joy. And your joy will change depending on which narrative and what stories you are soaking in. And so some of the gardening work of indirection Is are we soaking in the stories? Are we reading, telling, declaring the stories that are centered on self-fulfillment, happiness, expressive individualism where I become the defining factor of all things and I need to pursue whatever I want at all costs and the end of that narrative and those stories is not joy. Those kind of stories and that narrative produces jealousy and envy and despair and discontent. And if you don't believe me, take a look at the culture that we are in. But here, 
in the scriptures, by the Spirit, we find a different way, a different narrative, a different story rooted in his character and his presence and his promises. Do I have another slide? Is that it? Oh, there we go. Can we do this exercise with ourselves and with our friends and with our family? That my circumstances may be this, or my circumstances may tell me this, but God tells me God is that. My circumstances may be, but God is. Are we allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord and discover how he reinforces a narrative of joy for us? Because we don't need the pursuit of happiness. We need a joy revolution. An invasion of his joy that re-centers us on him and his work and his character and his promises. Because after all, that's where this is heading. Thanks be to God, that's our destiny. As C.S. Lewis reminds us that joy is the serious business of heaven. And as Psalm 30 reminds us, his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I know I am more prone to chase happiness and ride the roller coaster of my circumstances than I am to choose joy and to have my eyes focused on joy and to even want joy. But Lord Jesus, I look toward the day when everlasting joy will be on my head because of your life, death, and resurrection. And it changes how I live now. And so as we talk, Lord, about the fruit of your Spirit, a better offer through Jesus. Lord, may you stir in us. May you whet an appetite in us for your joy. May we watch you grow this in us in new and beautiful ways. And God, I pray for those that may be watching online or in this room tonight that have not yet come to the end of themselves to confess their sin and to receive your forgiveness as the beginning of their joy pursuit. May they do so tonight. Lord, may you have your way in us. May you offer us, may we receive from you that which is much better. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.